worked very hard on, on fitness and um, and the running game. That's what kind of led me to, to want this dream of being a, a racing driver. There's no point in time and anything except standards of excellence. We will deal with the Talton Cup if we're in it and we'll, we'll certainly give it every bit of respect. There's no feeling that beats playing for Ireland. My God, I'm going to do everything that is possible to bring us there. This is Sports Beat Extra. As part of Beat's ongoing commitment to shine a light on the outrageous sporting talent that we possess in the Southeast, I'm extremely pleased to kick off a brand new segment which will focus on the individual stories of some of the most decorated female athletes in the region. As always, I'm Sean Connolly, and you are very welcome to Sports Beat Extra. Five counties, one big sports show. Sports Beat Extra. The Southeast boasts some of the finest sporting individuals in the country, and we're truly privileged to witness their rise through the ranks. Now, in this dedicated feature, we'll hear directly from these remarkable athletes and gain an insight into their journeys. First off, today, I'm delighted to welcome former professional jockey Katie O'Farrell, a Kilkenny native with a tremendous story to tell. Katie, it's a pleasure to speak with you today. How are you? I'm great, Sean. Thank you. It's great to be here. From your earliest memories, was achieving professional status as a jockey always the dream? I think that came very late on. I've always been, I was born into horses. So that's, I suppose that's the, the foundation of it all. Um, I, would, I could probably ride a pony before I could walk, I would say. Um, I was always very brave and very independent. And I think it's just like anything when you're young, it's what you get used to. Um, and that just kind of grew. I, I, I loved it and I was, I was good at it. I think that was, that was a big help. Um, and I did well in my younger years of venting and did pony club, hunting, everything. Um, I have a big family, so six of us siblings, three boys and three girls. And we all grew up tearing around the fields together, <laughs> causing trouble. And um, it was great fun. I suppose I, I, had, I had great fun doing it. And when I was competing then at sort of pony club level, um, I had some great ponies and I, I just... I won a lot and I, I had great success. And as a kid, you don't, you know, you kind of, you're just having a good time really. Um, but that kind of developed into my later teens and I did eventing Ireland. I suppose that's that's a very expensive sport to be involved in. Um, and so my first job then that I got was in racing, uh, was actually working for Willie Mullins, um, riding out in the morning. And I just couldn't believe I was getting paid to do this. I was like, oh, my God, like I've been working with horses all my life, but it wasn't work. You know, you're, you're kind of you're just out there doing it and loving it. And um, it came to a time where I was you know, going to college, it was kind of late in school and I was going to college and needed a part time job. And uh, I was getting to ride these amazing horses and I was getting paid for it. I just thought this I'd won the lottery, <laughs> to be honest. And I think that's where the racing bug caught caught on. Um, I just it started off on the weekends. Then I would ride out in the summers, and then um, I decided to have a taste of it myself. I suppose I took out an amateur license, and I was in college at the time uh, when I when I started because my mum was adamant that we all go to go to well her girls in particular that we, we get educated and. Um, I appreciate that now because I'm back in college <laughs> and studying the master's in sport and exercise psychology. But um, yeah, at the time I was more interested in riding out in the morning than I was going out at night. Now, don't get me wrong, I, <laughs> I had a good time in college as well, but it was always horses. I was in college to please my mum 
and all I really wanted to do was horses. And as soon as, as soon as I got my degree, um, the first thing I did was I, I started working full time for Aidan O'Brien um, down Tipperary. Um, I was there for two years, and because it was the first time in my life I'd been full time at you know at, at uh, riding race horses. I improved a lot and I was still riding as an amateur and I thought I want to do more of this this is what I want to do and uh, I think it just it was a kind of a lifetime of a bug and that's how how I kind of I got into I got to the point where I decided I want to do this professionally I want more of it and um, I'm going to turn professional and see how I get on. What sort of challenges if any did you face individually? To be honest, I've always, I've been, I'm lucky, I'm a very independent person and I like to make decisions uh, for me by myself. Like if there are big decisions, I like to really think them through um, and, and inside I'll always kind of have the decision made before I have my discussions with the people that matter. And when it came to turning professional, it was the same. I had thought it through. I'd, I'd mulled it over and it was, I was just so sure this was something that I wanted to do. And actually just this was something I was going to do regardless of what anyone else had to say about it later on. And I think um, that was important for me because I think we're very easily swayed on the decisions that we make if we talk to the wrong people or if someone says the wrong thing unintentionally. Um, it could just put you off going down a path that you really want to go. And so I put a lot of thought into into that and I made a firm decision because I knew it was what I really wanted. And then when I told people uh, or discussed it with people, it was kind of more of a, you know, this is what I'm going to do. You know, what do you think? But regardless of what you think, this is what I'm going to do. Um, and I knew it would be hard. I remember saying, <laughs> remember saying to myself, so I was going to go out and freelance, which, you know, so you're not, you have to get yourself up in the morning and you're not, you know, you're not guaranteed anything. So... But it was just something I was really ready to do and um, hadn't, you know, I, I, I thought it through. So um, I knew it would be hard. I had no idea it was going to be that hard. <laughs> but uh, uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was great. It was a long road and, and I, learned, I learned plenty. You made reference to something there that you had taken this decision and then it was a case of just letting people know this is what you're going to do regardless of how you respond to this. What was the general response you got initially when you were letting people know that this is the decision I've made and this is my career path? A little bit of uncertainty, maybe. Um, I suppose your parents, they just want the best for you, don't they? And it's such an uncertain career as well. And it's, you know, it's riddled with injury and, and high risk in, in, in all sorts of ways. But I think my parents, they always knew how like deeply embedded the love of horses was in me. So... My dad's been my my ultimate support anyway. He's the backbone of my, my support system. So he thought it was great. He thinks everything I do is great. <laughs> um, and yeah, the couple of other people, I suppose it depends on how you present something as well. Like if I bring something to the table and I, I present it to you in a way, this is something I've thought through and it's something I want to do. I'd already been working full time in racing at Aidan O'Brien. So it's not like I wasn't, already in the industry to a degree um, and I yeah I think when you present something with a certain firmness there's not a lot that I think the person hearing it knows well her decision is made so better be careful what I say next <laughs> and it's up to you then to just go out and you know prove you made the right right choice. Knowing you in the time that I have you're obviously very well educated 
and very strong-willed. So it was never viewed as men and women, boys and girls. You just wanted to be a jockey. Mm. But in that stigma that did exist and possibly still exists, did you encounter many scenarios where you were looked at as a lady jockey as opposed to a jockey? And if so, how did that make you feel? Well, that's a loaded question. <laughs> um, I suppose for me, it was a little different. Like like I said, grew up in a big family out in the country, three boys, three girls. So we were on 11 playing field from, from the day dot. And as far as I, you know, when I was growing up and we all did ponies and we all competed and stuff, like I, I probably did, you know, the best of most of us in the family and the, and so it wasn't like as in at a pony club level you know you're you're, you're getting on well and so you don't really to me it was never distinguished as in the importance of being male or being female until of course you get older and it actually is a thing um but because I was raised in that sort of environment that told me that it didn't matter gender was irrelevant um I always just sort of cracked on and, and I always had a great belief in myself. So I, it didn't matter. I, I knew the odds were, you know, the, the odds are against you. Uh, I knew the odds were against me. There was, at the, you know, at the time there was only only one other professional jockey, Rachel, Rachel Backmore. And um, so it wasn't like I was unaware that um, the balance was not in our favour, but to, it just was never, it just was, wasn't an issue for me because as far as I was concerned, I wasn't as entitled to be there as anyone else if, if that's what I wanted to do. Um, and, you know, when it came to actually getting involved, I, I mean, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't. I didn't encounter situations where it was a disadvantage to be, to be a girl, but you just have to crack on because I... They were, they were the choices I made and I didn't choose to become a professional jockey without being aware that those odds were against me in that way. But I just believed in myself enough to, you know, to, to give it a go and to go against it anyway, you know. Give it a go, you did. And you were incredibly successful with many memorable moments in your career. I suppose it might be a difficult question, but what is the standout memorable moment in your career? It's not really a difficult question at all. I, well, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's the obvious. The you know my my star horse was was Low Sun. He was kind of he came. I had a big win on him in Fairy House, at a time when I I was I, I had struggled for a number of years to get the ball rolling, and um, I remember that January, like winters are hard, you know, um, and it's it's a uh, it's a, it's a hard graft, and I just remember thinking, if I can't make something happen by the end of this season, so the end of our season would sort of be the end of May, and I just remember saying, if I can't make something happen now, between this and then, I like I cannot keep doing this because it was just so hard, and uh, nothing. And I don't mind like I don't mind hard work. I don't mind working seven days a week. Like I loved it, but you have to get something back. And if you're not getting something back, slowly but surely, that will just chip away at you. So I suppose I wasn't just ir- like r- irrationally call- making a mad call. I said I'd give it more time. And uh, in April then, I had, again, he was 33 to 1. He was one of 10 horses that Willie, ha- Willie had running in the race. And he, um, he won. And a half an hour later, I won the Ladies' National. Um, so it was just one of those 
mad sort of days that I could hardly believe myself. But, you know, in hindsight, of course I could believe it. I was I was working for it for a very long time. So it was just nice to have that red letter day that made everything worth it and gave you like filled up your tank to go again. It wasn't until kind of later that summer when you I, I won on Low Sun again at Galway and Galway was kind of a special uh, place for me because when, when I was younger my dad had a horse and we won the Galway Hurdle. So Galway's always just been one of those uh, places that sort of stands out for me. Yeah, so those I suppose they're the obvious ones because they're the big ones, aren't they? And I suppose everyone thinks of the big days and and if you, you know, if, if anyone, if anyone knows who I am, it's because of that horse. Um, but there's there's one other day that stands out to me that nobody would ever su- suspect. But there was um, a horse called Chantel for um, trainer Dick Donahue and um, John Kennedy was the owner. And so small trainer, you know, small owner. Um, since then, John's actually passed away. Um, but he he owned this horse and he I've never seen anyone get such a thrill out of a horse running well. And I knew that he was unwell uh, during this kind of summertime where she had she'd won she'd won and she was she'd become back to consistent form. We went he didn't make it to Sligo one day. So I was aware that he was quite un- if he wasn't going to turn up. He there was definitely, you know, he was definitely quite unwell. And uh, so, you know, I rang him and, we, you know, we spoke. Um, it, w- it was, we were going down to, to Killarney and she finished third that day. We were going down to Killarney and um, he came. I didn't think he would, so I was going to ring him to, to talk to him about it. But he was there and it was a sunny day and we changed tactics and she won. And it was, it was just, it was just a great day. And I, I, I think it meant... It stands out to me because it meant so much to him and it meant so much to them. And I think it's it's rare you see that now. It's a very, very competitive industry, big trainers, big owners. And it's hard for the for the smaller trainer and the, you know, the lesser quality horse to get to get a to get a look in. But that would be outside of the obvious, you know, glory days that I had on on Low Sun. That that was a day that really stands out to me because of what I sort of saw it did for him well that's wonderful and that's that's a collection of memories so yeah, it's, it's why yeah. I asked the question no you only asked me for <laughs> one but anyway <laughs> there no, you go but that, that's fantastic <laughs> obviously something you touched on previously and it is a huge part of your story injuries are quite common in this particular sport and you were incredibly unfortunate with injuries you had two separate situations on one particular occasion where you weren't even aware that the injury was as serious as it actually turned out to be what, what are your memories from those moments of your career I suppose the biggest the biggest thing would be that since the day I had that second break, things were never the same again after that. I could never return. I I got a bad break, um, and I was just riding out. It was just done for. It was just one of those things. Um, um, I broke my ankle very badly in three places and broke my leg on both sides and uh, dislocated it as well. So it was. I've never I've never experienced anything like that. It was. It was horrendous, but I was very lucky. I was riding out close to here, actually, um, Whitfield, down in Port Law. So um, I got brought to Whitfield Clinic and I got um, surgery immediately. Um, So I was very, very lucky because I think if I didn't have, if those little things didn't happen in my favour, 
I might have I might have had to wait a long time and and it might not have turned out as well. Um, but I I recovered from that and I think that was it was the following year it was the January I was telling you about that I had spent five months you know rehabilitating from that and getting myself back going and it was just such a graft and an uphill battle for a very long time that I thought I, I kind of just my tank was empty and I, I, I just didn't know if I could continue um, and that's when low sun came along I suppose and things started to turn um, and I think it's like anything you you it's the ultimate aim isn't it to to stay injury free um, but that day I, I got I got plates in my leg I got I got screws in my ankle they're still there today um, and um, that day in Galway it was when I was riding low sun I actually had a broken leg um, as well so what happened was I was uh, I was riding in the Galway hurdle and um, a horse next to me sort of just jumped, clashed in the air. Um, nothing unusual there, but the stirrup iron of the neighbour, my neighbouring jockey went into the point in my leg where I had the bar and because the bar was there, the bone snapped. So it wouldn't, it's, some, it's something that wouldn't have happened if if the, that that plate wasn't there but it was it broke in a new place and uh, I remember the pain like penetrating up right through through my head to the point where I was I was in the middle of a race and I could barely see straight for a second and I remember actually shaking my head like as if you're trying to shake something off uh, and like just saying to myself like Katie like come on c- concentrate like you're in the middle of a race and uh, I suppose I like I, I limped away from that and I, I had a ride the next day and the next day, um, it, like you just you just never think it, would you? Like you, you get banged at a point in your leg where you've got a plate, it's bound to be sore. You'd never think you've clean broke the bone behind it and um, that is that is what happened. I rode the next day and I was declared to ride so, low sun on the Saturday, um, so which was two days later. So I just kept going and... Uh, come hell or high water, I was riding low sun, so I, <laughs> I was going to ride it with or without the leg. Um, so I guess the day came around. I even rode out that morning and I just, I've never used so much ice in my life. I was going to bed at night with ice. I was waking up in the middle of the night, re-icing it, um, doing everything that I could to sustain, you know, or kind of calm the pain that I thought was just maybe ligament damage or bone bruise or something like that. Um, but that day came and low sun won and it was, you know, one of the greatest days because it, it felt like I was, I was like on the crest of that wave that you're always trying to get to. And it took years to get there. Um, and I think, I think that you're sort of in denial as well. Um, Part of me knew that there was something really wrong, but at the same time, I immediately rationalized, well, couldn't have done that with a broken leg, so um, I must be grand. Um, but in total, it was nine days and nine rides later that I couldn't walk anymore. So I had to go into hospital. My sister, my sisters came in with me and uh, they, I remember, I remember going in thinking, I just need to go in and get an x-ray to prove that it's not broken, you know, that it's just ligament damage and, you know, we'll get over it and we'll move on. But um, 
I was delivered the news by a doctor who kind of just didn't, he obviously, he just had no idea what this meant to me. And I think knowing what it took to get back from the first break and having reached a point in my career where I felt like this is my year, like I was, everything was going well, I'd lost my seven pound claim, I was, you know, riding winners regularly and you'd, I'd built up my profile to a place where, you know, it's you're sort of on the verge of being one of those jockeys that takes off and does just really well. And um, I just never got it. It was like I got a, a bite of the apple, but that was it. Um, he just told me like as if he was telling me I broke a nail. Uh, yeah, I broke. Yeah, you broke it. Clean broke one side to the other. And, uh, you know, like as if no big deal. Sure, she's probably delighted. She'll get a few weeks in crunches, a few easy weeks off. And uh, I just don't think he realized uh, what it was like. It was like. It was like a stab to the heart. I'll never forget it. And my sister was there. Well, both of them were there. But Ashing Ashing met me outside. And uh, yeah, I remember I remember saying to her, I was like, I don't think I can do this again. Like, I don't think I can go through all of that again. And uh, yeah, she re- reassured me that I could. And I did. Um, but it was that was the point that kind of everything sort of changed in a way. Like, I, I just never got back to that point but I continued to chase it like I continued to believe that I would get there again and I will keep fighting till the end until I do Um, and I ended up moving to England then um, and yeah kept trying didn't really reach those heights again but um, yeah and I think it's just you're one of you're, you're either you can be lucky and it goes for any sport, for any for any athlete, you know, I, I, I come across some people who've done a cruciate and then do it again and then do it again. I mean, I can't imagine what they're going through. Um, but yeah, in, in racing, it's very hard to get back to being relevant, to being, um, you know, sought after. And, and you really have to prove yourself all the time to to stay relevant. And an injury, injury is a big um into the armor to me and to anybody else who's listening it's 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 remarkable what you went through and it's incredibly incredibly brilliant what you have achieved anyone that could be sitting now and listening to this any young girl or even young boy who wants to aspire to emulate even a morsel of a fraction of what you have done what advice would you give them i do, i didn't achieve all that i wanted to achieve but i always like I, I tried and I'll always like I, I don't have any regrets because I continue to strive for what I wanted and what I believed I was capable of and I think the biggest thing for me is like um, hearing when people kind of think oh, I could never do that that's like that's like a pet peeve for me I hate when people underestimate themselves and people are so much more capable of of achieving things than they give themselves credit for. So the like the biggest bit of advice I, I, I suppose I would be I would give is just to, you know, if you if you've got it inside you, if you've got that little thought, that, that little little spark that wants to be a flame, like just just go after it because if it's there, it's not there by accident. And I think people talk or even you know, even for girls, like you say, that might think, might underestimate themselves because of that reason. Like, I just, I can't, I couldn't encourage people enough because even though I didn't 
achieve all that I had I wanted to achieve I can I'm content because I tried and I I'm content because I know that every choice that I made along the way I was staying true to myself and I was going after something that I was passionate about and I think that's just so important um is to continue if it's what you want not what you think other people want not 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 because you think oh you know girls don't get on or whatever it might be whatever excuse you've got in your head it's an excuse and it's called that for a reason like if if you've got it in your heart go after it is what i would say and katie it was a pleasure speaking to you today thank you so much thank you five counties one big sports show sports beat extra that's everything for today and i hope you feel as inspired by katie's story as i do as always, keep sending your messages through to me on our socials and your emails to sport at beat102103.com. Beat Anthems is coming up, but I got one last thing for all of you sports enthusiasts in the region. Club Focus with Eco Solar Energy, the solar experts you can rely on. Make the cleaner choice. EcoSolarEnergy.ie. Beat's Club Focus is in full motion. Each month, I visit a club in the region and I give them a place in the limelight to feature on air, online and across our socials. At the end of the 12 months, one of the lucky clubs will bag €1,000 bursary and that comes through a public vote. So it gives you an ideal opportunity to attract new bodies to your club. Club Focus is part of Beat's ongoing commitment to support the work that local clubs do while also celebrating the positive impact that you all have in your local communities. So if you want to get your club involved, Head to beat102103.com forward slash Club Focus to apply now. I look forward to seeing you. Club Focus with Eco Solar Energy, the solar experts you can rely on. Make the cleaner choice. EcoSolarEnergy.ie.